Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Nuclear Weapons, saving the world is always more dramatically fulfilling than just saving the girl. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Great Machete Battles. Read all about your favorite machete battles of yore, written in exquisite and chunky detail, only in the Great Machete Battles. Available at your local library. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are a film podcast where we analyze, every once in a while, diagnose uh, movies to see what makes them tick, what we notice about them, whether good or bad, usually for the best, but not always. And I don't know, we got a lot to do, so I think we can just get right to it. What are we going to cover today, man? Today, we are covering Mad Max Fury Road, uh, the newer George Miller version. So if you haven't seen this, please pause this episode and go watch it. I believe it's streaming on HBO Max. Copy that, big dog. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about a few things. Uh, we'll look at some of the cinematography, some of the Blue Knight, uh, the speed ramping they do and packing the frame. Uh, we'll also discuss some of the story and writing, the fatal moments, henchmen as fodder, uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a woman rebels against a tyrannical ruler in search for her homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshiper, and a drifter named Max. Directed by George Miller, written by George Miller, Brendan McCarthy, and Nick Lathoris. A cinematography by John Seal, starring Tom Hardy as Max, Charlize Theron as Furiosa, Nicholas Holt as Nux, Zoe Kravitz as Toast the Knowing, Nathan Jones as Rictus Erectus, and Hugh Keyes Byrne as Immortan Joe. My name is Max. My world is fire and blood. Why are you hurting these people? It's the oil, stupid. Oil wars. We are killing for gasoline. The world is actually running out of water. There's the water wars. Water wars. Once, I was a cop, a road warrior searching for a righteous cause. To the terminal freakout point. Mankind has gone rogue, terrorizing itself. Thermal nuclear experiment. The Earth is south. Our bones are poisoned. We have become half-life. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me. Or everyone else. Hello? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Here they come again. Worming their way into the black matter of my brain. Help us, Max. You promised to help us. I tell myself, they cannot touch me. They are long dead. I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. Hunted by scavengers. Haunted by those I could not protect. So I exist in this wasteland. A man 
reduced to a single instinct. Survive. I love that shot of him running because he's just kind of waddling back and forth. And it's just, yeah, it's perfect. Um, man, I don't know if you grew up really watching Mad Max or not. I, I didn't ish. Like I didn't, I never really saw the first two Mad Max and the road warrior or the road warrior and Mad Max. I'm not sure which came first. That's how little I did grow up a little bit as a kid on beyond Thunderdome, which was like, it's just such a weird movie and inspired a lot of other, you know, stuff music videos and whatnot so all that aside does fury road and that really is apropos of uh almost nothing um <laughs> big fan of fury road or nah or is it just kind of uh it serves a purpose yeah yeah it like introduces this crazy idea of what a future could look like and i think i'm always interested in those kinds of things it just it really it gives you an insight into not necessarily that this could happen even, but just somebody's interpretation of what could possibly happen. And I always find that really interesting and intriguing. Like if you take, if you take the worst of humanity and, and made that reality, what would that be like? That's very much what this feels like. It feels like a, a lot of stuff of, you know, being obsessed with getting to the afterlife, right. And getting to this, this glory place, right. Which we all have currently, but also having a savior that you look up to that you, you, you answer to, right. Which they have in this as well. There's a line that, um, I forget the bad guy's name, whatever. There's a line where, where he, he says, where he gives them water. And then he says, don't become addicted to it because then you'll be, you'll, you'll be upset when it's not there. Right. I think that is, is also something that, you know, is told to us a lot, you know, today. I, I just I think that it's you know their 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 link and their connection to gasoline right and to mm-hmm. cars and I just think it's it's really interesting not only to create that world but also to create the attitudes around that world which is it was just it's really interesting I love all this kind of stuff to be set in this not have a whole lot of backstory of how we got there we have a little bit of exposition of how this happens you know in the beginning the very beginning, but it's very, it's just minimal. You know, we don't spend a lot of time on it. It's just here we are and then live there and experience what life is like there. And I really felt the anguish that almost all of these people living in this time, you know, are going through, right. Uh, Max specifically, but not just him, like, like everybody, it's just a hard, hard life. And I felt it throughout the whole film. I thought it was really super well done. And the design, I mean, Come on. Everything you see had to be built from nothing. There was nothing that was, you know, you take like an old, you know, like um, 40s or 50s car and then you jack it up on these 10 foot wheels and you turn it into a semi. Like, how cool is that? That's really cool. And somebody had to think of that and then someone had to create it. And that's just one little, that's just one large piece. Think about all the little, little pieces, you know, Um, Charlize's arm that they, like that little detail of, because she had to be strong enough to catch max as he's hanging out the off of the um the semi at towards the end and and how else could she do that she couldn't do that with just a normal arm it had to be a mechanical one like i just love those those things it was so detailed and i i loved it and i loved the original as well i think it set a a really interesting precedent and for george to come back and redo it i mean nobody else could do it like like george you know so where there might be some some areas where i felt not necessarily that it could have been done better, but that I just kind of checked out a little bit. 
because this is, I think, the third time I've seen it. Mm. So I know what's happening. The first time I saw it was in a theater and I was, I was hooked from the very beginning. I mean, they don't waste any time getting into beating the shit out of Max. So, um, and then for the rest of the movie, the guy just gets his ass kicked the whole time. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? I, I know how many times have you seen this now? Um, this was probably, I mean, I just watched it twice for this show, but before that I probably saw it twice as well. Um, I keep okay. wanting to watch the black and white version I think that's George's favorite version of it. I just can't bring myself to do it. I love the color in this. Um, yeah, me too. It's just perfect. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of the same things you were saying in terms of like, there is a fascination that I think we all have with the, the post-apocalyptic scenarios. Um, and this paints such a weird, perfect picture of the the depravity of you know mankind and specifically men um especially this version of mad max again i'm not super familiar with the earliest versions uh but this one is really about you know how sick uh men can be you know in in particular you know you gave this one man all this power and elected him to some kind of god status uh and just the way that he abuses that and you know kind of denounces the idea of you know autonomy and instead these women are his possessions right uh he he literally says that at you know at least one or two points of the film you know bring me back my treasures or whatever and so Mm -hmm. uh there's that bigger message that they're playing with here about you know the patriarchy and you know freeing yourself from despots and i love all that stuff but uh i also just and we'll definitely get more into that at some point but i also just love the the chaos of it right this is a like you said they waste no time getting to it and once the gas is on they only let up you know a couple of times and that still leads to more like explosions and more weirdness and i just i it works for me in every level i don't think there's any parts that i would really change Um, because it lives on its own. There's things that they do in this film that I'm glad no one else is trying to replicate. I'm glad no one's playing with the speed ramping the way they play with it in this. Um, And it just would not work for almost any other film to spend like half the movie, maybe literally half the movie is, you know, they're playing with speed, uh, the playback rate, you know, that's just insanity. Uh, And it, adds a lot to it right it adds intensity and the sense of chaos and clumsiness and fun um and it also adds a beautiful contrast so that when we finally do move into like slow motion it feels a lot more dramatic and grounded and real and i bet they cut off like at least 30 minutes of runtime by like speeding up so much of the film and i think if they had done at a normal speed I and most people would probably be a lot more, I don't know, wishy-washy on this film. Um, But people that like this movie love this movie. And you either are in on, you know, the ride or you're not. I don't know. Yeah, it works for me. I love the action. I love the the insanity of it, the the design that you're talking about. Like, you have to have a team of people to come together and create these cars and just to, to ideate and, you know, riff on some of these ideas of, okay, we're, you know, 30 years into the apocalypse or maybe in this circumstance, it's more like five years into the apocalypse. What do you have access to and what do you use to stay alive? And how do you protect yourself and become, you know, offensive and able to attack? And what does all that look like meshed together in, in, 
and who becomes leaders in this scenario, right? It is terrible people uh, a lot of the time. And hopefully, because I know he's got some sequels in the works, hopefully we get to see another version of this where you see like a Furiosa or a Max who gets to become in charge. And what does their version of post-apocalyptic harmony look like instead of this, you know, the, the chaos, but within the chaos, you're going to have the most fun. You know, that's, that's just the reality of it. You get guitars that spit out fire and or are set up on bungee cords and you get drummers, like just keeping everyone amped up to the 10th degree. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly rambling at this point, but it, no, yeah. I'm curious to hear what you would change because uh, this is all perfect to me. Uh, it's, it's weird. And it's the imperfections that I think that I enjoy, which is not normal for me. Normally, if there's weird quirks, I kind of have to squint my eyes and look the other direction. But with this, there is this kind of cheesiness, this, you know, caked on cheese layer of, you know, the, the guy Nux's buddy who takes over Max's car. He gets crushed and explodes and he's yelling Valhalla in this really Valhalla, yeah. obvious, you know, green screen kind of fire effect or whatever they're doing there. And it's so hokey and it works for me. I just, I eat it yeah. up. I love it. But I am curious, like, so what are the moments that you're talking about? Like, oh, this is where they kind of lost me. I don't know. Did it not play as strongly in certain elements or? Yeah. Um. For, for me, it wasn't. Yeah, okay. So one moment I was just like, ah, I don't know. It was when they went in the storm and then she pushes one car into the storm and it gets sucked up into like a tornado within the storm and it gets sucked mm-hmm. up and explodes. I was just like, it just didn't, not that that needed to feel real. It didn't. The whole thing like doesn't need to feel real uh, because it's obviously ridiculous and over the top and that's okay. But that just felt like it's the difference between the car she pushes in is the difference is like three feet or something between her getting sucked up and the car mm-hmm. getting sucked up. And it was just like, really, you're just going to, I don't know. So I was just, she's also in like a massive semi filled with. Something. true 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 it was just something that i noticed yeah. where i was just like i don't i don't know it was just another reason for something to happen to mm. ex- totally. explode right yeah. so but but immediately i just let that go and i was mm. like yeah, that was fine but really i wouldn't say there were like specific m- moments that happened that took me out it was more of like it was so much action the second time i watched it so much con- kept happening that I couldn't breathe. So I just ha- like, there were some times where it's just like, Oh my gosh, I can't, there's so much happening in my eye face that I, I had to either look away or just like, you know, blink and, and like come back to center mm-hmm. for a second. So that, that was it. But that's also the point I felt like of this film to make you feel like you have to do that because it had to put you in that world of constant action, constant trying to survive, constant fighting, you know, to, to live. Right. And so I, I felt that, but it was obviously in my case, it wasn't to live. It was just to, to continue to pay attention. And so there were some moments where I reminded myself, I can take a breath and I'd take a breath. I'd look away for just, you know, four, five or six seconds or whatever. And then I'd look back and and I'd be, you know, it'd be fine. But th- that was really what I meant it was just, you know, some there was so much car chasing all the time that even the times when it even the times when there weren't car chases, there was always a vehicle in view, always. Mm. Um, and that vehicle was almost always moving. 
So we were always moving. And you feel that, that you're constantly moving all the time. Um, so the part where, where Max is carrying his guy and he goes and he, then he sees the women and he holds them hostage with the, with the, the shotgun, right? <sighs> Take a breath, right? We're not moving. Yeah. You know, he's not talking. We're not moving. We're just, we just are right. And I use that time to like, okay, center myself. Cause that's the first time really that we're, you know, there's not a whole ton of music. It's not bombastic. It's not, you know, we're not going a hundred miles an hour. But then after that, like really, it just keeps going and going and going. So yeah, that that's really it. No, that's fair. I think, you know, this is one of the most visual movies ever made because there is so little dialogue and the story is so simple, right? The, the entire story is, you know, these, this woman is breaking out of jail and trying to get back home. Like it doesn't get more simple than that. And then all the rest. So it takes all of, you know, five seconds to, to unlock that kind of exposition. And the rest of the exposition is just who is this person and how have they changed? And uh, like Nux becomes a, an interesting character. They call him a war boy. And this is a war boy who's kind of lost his way and maybe is needing to lose his faith. Um, and of course, you know, there's, uh, I don't know her name, Riley Keough, um, the redheaded uh, woman is like reaching into him and like, you know, kind of making him live again in a sense. And there's something beautiful that's happening there. And it's so simple. All the exposition is incredibly simple and just right there on the surface so that you can get to the emotion a lot faster and a lot easier because of how simple everything is on the surface. The stakes, it, you know, are are not difficult. And and whenever you have, you know, a two hour movie with credits with such simple exposition, well, the rest is just left to visually like tell and that's where it's it is it does gas you out like this is the worst movie to watch at home and the best movie to watch in a theater um because yeah. the theater you're there to sit and you're there to focus at home there's way too many distractions like you you yeah. really need the benefit of the surround sound and the darkness and a big screen and a big bowl of popcorn and a coke like this yeah. it does not get any better you know for your for your eyeballs and so i get Great that point. you know it, it this wears me out like I realized because I watched it twice, there was stuff I, I missed um, the first time because I was watching it the second time. I was like, oh, I completely must have looked away or maybe I was writing a note down. And this is very much when the action gets going. If you look away almost at all, like you're going to miss something. And it might be a little tiny piece that tells a bigger part of the story that, you know, Max took his mask off or, you know, Nux is crawling underneath the the, the semi. Like there's... A, there's always something going uh, and it's really beautifully yeah. edited. I forget how many Just gonna cameras say. they had on set. Like this was an insane amount of footage to go through, but it also means uh, a lot of the storytelling power is in the hands of the editor. Um, and one of the coolest things about this is George Miller's wife, Margaret Sixel, uh, is the one who edited this. And of course she won wow. the, the Academy Award for best editing. Uh, which was absolutely deserved. Uh -huh. But one of the things I, I was trying to figure out if they were making a, a sequel to this, and I, I broke one of my rules and I stumbled into an article, uh, an interview with George Miller, and I'll link it in the show notes um, if I can find it again. But apparently 
I'll just read this quote from George Miller. We insisted on not putting the temp music and sound effects in as we watched the movie. Margaret, his wife and editor, uh, was with me on this. If it plays as a silent movie, if you can read it and it's clear and smooth and creamy, you know it will play with sound in the music. And this is something that, you know, we've talked about a, a thousand times. Like, I love editing my my projects without any music. Like, it needs to tell the story visually first. And then if you add in music, it's only going to get better. Yeah. And I think it completely shows that that's how they they put this movie together. It's like they're telling these sequences and um, it's all happening so fast. You're just you're editing the movie in your head on the fly as she's giving you all these pieces of the story of the puzzle. Like you're as a viewer putting it all together in your head. And it's just, it's, it's very much, you know, I, I think they even go on in that same article to compare it to uh, music. Like this is a big orchestration and it's all there. And the ultimately the viewer is kind of conducting in their head if you're watching and if you're soaking it in, because if you're not, then suddenly, you know, you miss this rhythm section from the from the horns, and now the 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 whole piece makes a little less sense. Uh, and so Margaret Sixel is an incredible editor, um, and yeah. all, all the stuff that she was doing in here is just gorgeous. Totally agree. I mean, there's so many. I was gonna say before you said that that one of the amazing things about it is that all of these tiny little things that happen that lead to something else. And if, like you said, if you if you look away, you miss them. Maybe some guy falls off the rig, like one of the boys falls off the rig or something. And if you if you miss it, you don't see that. Oh, he actually caught on, right? He didn't mm-hmm. actually fall off, like, and he's holding on to something. Because then that dude is going to come back in about ten seconds and <laughs> and continue to fight. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought he fell. You know, but the editing shows that, right? It's there, but it's just a split second. Like the cuts are so fast that you know you got to pay attention or else you miss all this this little detail that that continues the story right and that also one of the the amazing the most amazing thing about the editing to me for this was how they gave personality and life to the to all of these boys Mm. right to all of the what are they what are they called war boys the war boys yeah Yeah. all these war boys they have these personalities and and yes there's a million of them but we actually get to spend time with with them right in a lot of ways the the guy who was trying to uh take the 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 wheel at the beginning right we see him later on with the the cut smile right right yep and the the staples we see him later on like we actually have a conversation a couple of conversations with him and so it's not just the one war boy who you know turns good there's all of these others and i so i it gives like I don't know, this other layer of personality, this other layer of humanity to these boys who are, yes, they're, you know, they're the bad guy, quote unquote, but they've been indoctrinated into, into this way of life. And this is all they've known. And all they've known is going to Valhalla, you know, um, is being able to die for the right cause. Right. And so we just get this little insight, this other layer on this other side of that, whether we agree with it or not, we get it. And it's so easy to not do that to just there's a good side and then there's a bad side and we don't ever really visit the bad side because we know what that's like but we're actually getting a little bit of insight into into a couple of them you know like i would say you know a good dozen of them we actually speak with they have dialogue they have actual action we stay with them rather than just a cut to a random 
war boy and then a cutaway. I mean, that does happen, mm-hmm. you know, because there's hundreds of them. But, <laughs> um, but but yeah, we get that layer and it's really nice. It's really cool. And to your point, I mean, one of the first ones we meet is the one who's writing along with Furiosa and we see mm. how much he trusts her. Right. Yes. Things weird things are happening. He's like uh, looking for answers. She gives him nothing. And he's like, OK, well, that's the order. And he just goes and starts yeah. barking out commands to everyone else. And you start yeah. to get an idea of the structure of their society yeah. and where she fits in that as an imperator, whatever imperator means. And yeah. And so he has a personality that eventually when he loses that trust, you know, it's gone in an instant and you know it as well. Like because he starts yeah. attacking her right off the bat. He's like, you know going after her throat and uh, she drops him like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> but, and it's, um, but it's important to get that insight with, with him because then you know, okay, he's supporting her, right? And one, he's under her, but two, he's going to help her fight the other, the, you know, the, the other city that's coming after them mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or, or not the other city, but the, when they're going into the foreign land, yeah. those characters, she has to get through them. And in order to get through them, she needs the guys that are on her rig to fight for her. Right. And so we have to have some personality with them because why else would they fight for her? She's like going rogue. So, yeah, it's just brilliant. It's just it's really, really great editing, but great, you know, shooting and storytelling, too. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'll dip into a few notes here and, you know, keep chiming in. One of the first things that it's hard to miss that we've already touched on is like the, the, the color palette is orange and blue. Like this is very classic cinematography. But being in a wasteland it feels right. It feels irradiated, right? Whenever all the land is just kind of hyper orange, you know, for dirt, it's, it feels gross. And it feels, uh, whenever you're seeing the war boys with their mutated skin, like you're like, yep, that, that tracks, that all makes sense. And then one of the, the other things that is just jumps out at me and I'm sure you as well is the, uh, the nighttime is blue, this kind of blue night, uh styling one they obviously are shooting a lot of day for night which you know you can do very easily it's that mostly takes place in the color grading and maybe that's what they did maybe it's mostly a color grading effect uh but another thing that you can do is set the camera to a really low white balance and shift the colors over to make daylight turn more blue uh, which in that case, you can start to touch up the, the grading and post um, to kind of finish out that effect. Because there are certain moments when everything's blue in the nighttime and then there's like a, a lamp or an interior car light and that's suddenly like really white. And you could still shoot using that kind of color balance effect. But then all, you, all you'll need to do is like add some CTO gels to certain lights like the headlights or an interior car light. And that begins to offset... Uh, the color in order to get, give another effect. My suspicion though would be that they did it all in post, but maybe not. I don't know. I was afraid to look it up. I just, I wanted to have the conversation, I guess, but regardless, it's beautiful. I love it. The other thing that they do cinematography wise really, really well, both out of necessity and uh, just because you're, this is what all filmmakers are supposed to be doing, um, which is packing the frame. Like they do a great job of squeezing cars together or distributing them uh, depending on the angle and the framing needs so that the the frame, the composition is always perfectly fr- you know fleshed out. Uh, whether the you have the semi by itself and you're going to place it dead center in this like aerial shot and or you're going to be 
shooting a ton of cars on the horizon. Like there's a moment when we see, I think she calls them the downtown boys. This is that moment you were just talking about when she still had her war boys on the rig uh, and they look out into the distance and they see uh, a gang coming, right? The, the accountant, I think it is with that weird nose. Uh, well, this is happening yeah. through like binoculars and they shoot this. They're way far in the distance and so the problem is when you're that far away, you need a longer lens, which reduces the amount of horizontal space that you can you can take up. And so in order to get all those cars in the frame to make it look very menacing and a very tight frame, you that means their driving formation has to be very tight in order to fit them into that frame. Um, and so you probably have a lot of professional drivers, of course. And I wonder if they use a lot of pre-visualization computers in order to figure out we're going to be at this focal length and which means we're going to need to space these cars in the this far away from the camera and and those cars are going to be need to space this close together so you can kind of run through a lot of stuff in just through using computer graphics right previs or maybe you you do it out there in a big parking lot maybe you actually just do it on the day i doubt that uh, this seems like the kind of thing they spend a lot of time doing previs on just so that you waste that much less time on set uh, but another scene where they're kind of doing, you know, packing the frame out, using what they have. Because here's the thing. You're in the desert. The barren absence of life can be daunting, right? Um, but it can also be interesting uh, and could make your film visually boring if you don't utilize it right. So it's a it's a very this and that. Uh, this isn't, you know, David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia where the desert is this big, beautiful thing with all these sweeping hills. This is a this isn't supposed to feel beautiful. It's supposed to feel gross. Um, and so you have to be very careful to not be boring when most of your film is taking place in the middle of nowhere um, as you're driving through it. And so you have to use your cars and uh, your props and your cast to maximum effect. And so there's a scene, that scene you were talking about earlier, where Max crashes and it's after that big tornado dust storm thing. And he's walking up on the war rig. When he walks up, drops the the body, he drops knucks on his face and all the women are washing up and trying to remove dirt from the car. Well, they're using that whole setup, right? They're using the truck to help fill out Max's shot. So the truck is on the left and now we have a sense of geography um, and Max is by himself. The reverse angle, they're using all the women. They're staging them all together to fill their frame up. Um, and so you're getting a lot of visual not just geography, but story within that. Max is on his own. The, there's all these women that must have poured out of the truck. And so you're getting a good sense of why they're running. Because earlier, we just saw the pregnant woman who who popped out from below. And then and now we're seeing a bigger scope of what the hell is going on. Um, and so you're filling the frame. You're telling the story. They're doing a lot uh, just through the way they're they're composing all their images. Uh, it's just freaking gorgeous. As far as story and writing, I mean, I thought they did some really well-told, brutal moments, right? When the pregnant woman dies, that little death sequence is great because there's this moment of doom when you think she died, right? Um, there's a, a, I don't know, a, a rock side that she's about to smash into as she was trying to protect, what's her name, Furiosa, from being shot by Morton Joe. So she opens up the door, right? And she, she covers her with her own body. Like she knows Joe isn't going to shoot her. Uh, but in so doing, she exposed herself to being sideswiped by this rock coming up. And so the rock takes out, you know, uh, the side of the truck 
And there's this breathless moment as Max looks out the window and sees, oh, she's okay. And there's this beautiful little slow motion thumbs up that he gives her right as she's trying to get climb back in. And you get this sense of relief. And then her foot slips. She falls on the door. The door, you know, gives way because it's this old metaled out rusted piece of crap. And she gets brutally run over by Joe, who, I don't know, to his credit or whatever, he tries to avoid it and he flips his own car. But I love that whole little sequence, right? Because it's this moment of doom that gives way to this moment of peace that ultimately gives way to a, a moment of certain doom. And it's it's just a good little roller coaster that they put us on because why just kill her off whenever you can, you can put us through a little bit more through the ringer. Uh, same thing a little bit, a lot later on, whenever you have the, I forget what they call them, but the, the women that had raised Furiosa, right. Were that the, the, there's this warrior woman who was playing the, the hostage, right. In the, in the jail cell. And Max is like, that's a setup. Like, don't fall for that. And she comes on, gets clothed, whatever. She's a badass warrior. Uh, but later on, she dies, right? She's She gets uh, knocked off her motorcycle with the older woman. And she turns around and starts shooting at Joe. And, of course, Joe isn't having that. And she dives beneath his truck, covers the woman, and pops back up and resumes shooting. And, of course, now we're feeling like, oh, she dodged it. She's safe. And then the the accountant like swerves over and runs her over from behind. So they do a good job of just kind of setting up these deaths in ways that make you think they're in the clear before they actually get taken down. And in that way, they keep kind of killing people off in these slow ways. The old woman that was riding shotgun, she gets like, what was that? A, a, a chainsaw? Chainsaw? To the neck? Yeah. <laughs> and she just slowly fades away and it's, it's worse. Like almost all the deaths are very fast. Um, once they start to die, they die really quick here. We kind of have to just sit and watch her bleed out and slowly give out. And I love those little moments because those are the moments that buys you a little more tension during Furiosa's moment at the end when she's wounded and now she's going to die. And now you really just don't know what's safe and what's not anymore. I mean, to some degree we're, we're expecting her to, to pull out, but there is a, a nagging doubt <laughs> that you're like, I don't honestly know if she's going to make it or not. Cause people keep dying and it, you know, we just lost yeah. Nux and now is she going to make it? And you see the, the, the look on Max's face. And so there's a lot and all of that goes into buying this moment of tension that makes it feel a little more satisfying when she pulls through, because if there hadn't been a cost and we talk about that a lot, right. Um, the cost of victory, there had been, pretty good cost of victory for this uh and so we were we were okay if you kill furiosa at a certain point you're just beating up on the audience uh and this yeah. is, it's just not that kind of movie um and so i love that um and with that little moment that they they set that up way in the early stages like the first 10 minutes of the film they set that up right because max when he's captured uh he's being tattooed with his blood type right he's o and egg he's a universal donor which, of course, is what sets him ultimately on this journey, right? He's paired with Nux, and Nux uses his blood bag, you know, so that he can stay fresh and, and recover during this whole sequence. But ultimately, it's that setup that allows him to save Furi Furiosa's life, which is the real payoff. And it's a, it's a really simple, subtle slate of hand uh, that you may or may not realize whenever it comes to that moment. But if you're paying attention and 
that detail was taken care of way in advance, uh, very beautifully. To your point earlier about, yeah, these there's a hundred of the war boys, bad guy fodder. So most films with tons of henchmen, you know, for me personally, usually ring hollow, right? Because they're so, whether you're talking about whatever, some of the Avengers films or whatever, uh, Star Wars films, like there are all these really well-equipped and well-trained soldiers that just have everything under the sun at their advantage and they lose to a handful of rebels that always nags at me. I'm like, I have to check my brain out of that part. I'm like, okay, that's not what we're here. Uh, we're here to see the good guys win or whatever it is. But here it works perfectly that you have tons of bad guy fodder uh, and that they keep getting their asses beat. And I think it works because the setting and the style and the story all specifically kind of dictate that that's the case, right? These guys are clumsy morons, right? Which is what happens in the post-apocalypse when you're malnourished and you're cancered up with all these tumors. And, and so they're aided, of course, that whole idea of them being clumsy morons is aided with the speed ramps and their failures that we get to see, right? Nux is this great moment where he's assigned by immortal Joe, Morton Joe himself, this grand epic moment. And he's like, I will carry you myself to the gates of Valhalla. And he sprains them all shiny and chrome. There's this big music swell. And we're kind of slowing down time just a hair. And as he gets thrown onto the, onto the semi, he's walking and immediately gets tangled up and like fails and loses his gun. Like he's just, just a complete moron. And of course their belief system reveals how incompetent their minds are. Right. I live, I die. I live again. Witness me. Like, come on, bro. Like you've clearly not thought any of this through. (laughs) And so I think it just absolutely works perfect that these are bad guys that I believe exist by the hundreds and fall by the hundreds. Like that's just, that's what they do. That's who they are. And Mm -hmm. that's what they're conditioned to do. Yeah. Right. It would make sense for them to, to, you know, be incredible. Um, Yeah. And Mad Max, uh, switching gears. I love how often he gets bailed out by the women. There's something really fun that's happening between the men and the women in this story, uh, specifically when it comes to our heroes and heroines, right? Whenever he's fighting the big brother, Rectus, he's losing, he's getting his ass handed to him. Uh, and then the woman shoots the tank that allows him to get the upper hand and, and move on. And Max, whenever they're stopped in the nighttime, and Max is trying to shoot that oncoming car with the accountant and he's just wasting ammo. They have four shots. And I love the, uh, one of the women is like, you have three shots left. You have two shots left. Last shot. And like, she's just reminding him, yeah. stop missing. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, she doesn't roll her eyes, but I feel like she should have like, uh, Furiosa is like, she debates, let me go handle this. She goes over, walks behind him and just waits. She doesn't ask for the gun. She just waits and Max kind of just, you know, sighs, hands the gun over. She lays it on his shoulder and with the last bullet, like takes the guy out, um, the light, which blinds him, blah, blah, blah. But I love that moment because she didn't ask. She didn't have to. They were working together. There is something that they're doing together. And I think it is reflected in one of the other times when Max falls and Furiosa grabs him, right? With that 
not quite bionic arm, that prosthetic thing, that metal arm. And it's perfect, right? And that moment is perfect. There's a, it's a great all is lost kind of moment when one of the women is stolen already, right? Uh, Toast the Knowing, played by Zoe Kravitz, um, which is a really strange name. And she's gone. She's been taken. Max is held only by Furiosa, who's been stabbed um, as her prosthetic that's holding Max is starting to loosen and unravel. Um, they're surrounded by whoever, Morton Joe's dudes, and their engine is losing power. Like, that's a beautiful moment that ultimately Nux kind of comes to the rescue, right? He kicks Max onto the, which is a really great kind of effed up moment where he just gives him this double kick and it flies him onto the, the windshield or the, the, the grate of the next truck. And then he comes up and is like, I fixed the engine and now they're back off and racing. But then not too long after that, Max returns the favor after Furiosa kills Immortan Joe. He grabs her and keeps her from falling too. There's a symbiotic thing that's happening between Max and Furiosa, those two groups. And it's reflected, you know, throughout the movie, I think. For one, Max is the is both the arbiter of his own escape, and he's also interdependent on Furiosa's uh, escape itself for triggering that that possibility. Furiosa is the author of her own escape, but ultimately needs Max to help see that to fruition. And so I love that because too often, and this is kind of the 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 joke of my show intro, you know, this week was uh, that I wrote anyway uh, was nuclear weapons are never you know, are there to, so that we can save the world instead of just saving the girl. And there's a quote that we'll, we'll get to, but this, there's this idea, right. That in older films, it was all about saving the girl. And what I love about this movie is the women are, even though most of them aren't really capable of saving themselves to some degree, because not because they were incapable from birth because they're a woman, but because that was the, the design of a Morton Joe himself. Right. He he did his best to keep them um, whatever, incapable or weak. Right. And so to try and disempower them. And there's that whole great story of, you know, escaping the patriarchy and empowering yourself. But even within that, they're still all doing what they can. They're still all contributing. And ultimately, we run into a group of women who are badass and are going to be there uh, to fight as well. Uh, and but I love that it wasn't just women versus men there were men there who were symbiotic with all the women as well like there's something really nice and beautiful about that being this yin and yang of we're going to come together to be better than you know just ourselves like the sum is greater than the 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 whole of the parts and i think it's really well reflected with max and furiosa any all of their scenes together i think kind of you know reflect that uh but i think it's uh, yeah, I like this kind of thing. It, it works for me. There's a lot of films that I love that are just you know, like women kicking ass. Um, but I really always love even more whenever I get to see men and women together bringing down evil people. Even better if it's an evil dude. I don't really care. Um, it's a good story and it works for me. Yeah. And I think hats off to to the writers here. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love how the... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I love. The the one boy that keeps coming back the, that... The Nux. redeemed boy, I guess. Yeah, yeah not next. He, uh, how several times you think, okay, that's it. That's the last I'm going to see of him. And he just keeps coming back, right? Like they kick him out of the, out of the semi at one point. 
and he runs back with the 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 piece of cloth from his from the wife and and you know before all that happens that you just talked about but and then he keeps coming back almost like it's predestined that he's mm-hmm. actually going to help them right and um and how max actually turns pretty quickly from not trusting them to helping them and then to risking his life for them and so so like you know when they're in the semi and and uh nux locks out the wheels in the back on the on the 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 gasoline shell and so and she's gonna she's gonna go take care of it and he said no no let me go it wasn't necessarily i don't think to be nice it was because he didn't want her to be outside the truck and then maybe do find another gun or something because he Mm -hmm. had already collected all their guns true but there was an aspect of it where at least i felt where it was like that was the first transition of him um, you know actually coming to their their aid in a way and but throughout then he just keeps getting like understanding oh this is bigger than me this is bigger than me okay now i'm a part of this i'm a part of something to then when they're driving off on the motorcycles he makes the decision to go and and help them and but i love how they make they he comes to this decision not just oh i'm going to be good the whole time there's these these little flashbacks of his little girl that obviously he couldn't save and then she's the one that actually convinces him and you can actually see her body standing in the distance between the women driving off and him making the decision when she says you know to go help basically tells him to go help them you can see a, a person standing there and uh, all of these little things are just wonderful but it's not like we we're having to wait you know 45 minutes after we've seen him for this to, or, or they've met for this to happen like it's pretty quick which i think in reality probably would be more you know like that yeah, I just the narratives that happen, the lines throughout this are just really, really beautifully woven, and um, and yeah, it's awesome. That is, yeah, you're right. I mean, he there is that little slow moment of of building trust and establishing trust, and I man, I think you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, he probably wanted to go because he kept he found like 50 guns already just mm-hmm. around the the compartment and. I love that moment earlier with the water fight where she breaks like this skull and pulls out a pistol. Like where Dude, the I hell did that. that come from? Yeah. I mean, they're all over the place. That fight was the best part of the movie for me yeah. when he's fighting Furiosa, just because you can see her strength because she overpowers him several times, but how it ends the just do, 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 do where he shoots yeah. around her. And then that ends the fight right there. Yeah. It's so cool. Like yeah. just the way that the whole thing happened and then how it ends is just really fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. I loved that scene. Yeah. And I do love, uh, just to go back to the Nux and uh, Riley, I don't know her character's name. Um, the redheaded yeah. woman, the red. um, that cause she redeems him. Right. Uh, and there is something beautiful about that, too, when you're talking about, like, I don't know, trying to redeem these hellbent men because they have a lot of good commentary about men being so destructive. Right. Um, even whenever they capture Nux, uh, they go to kill him. And I, I forget which one. Uh, they're all kind of yelling together, says, you know, no unnecessary killing. We agreed like they're already trying to think of how we can make a better world that is different from the world that was destroyed and the reason it was destroyed. Um, and there's this little back and forth in, in that moment uh, between them and Nux because uh, he's sitting there saying, you know, we're not to blame. And right before she kicks him off, she asks, 
than who killed the world and then you know Mm -hmm. blast them off like there's a really great commentary just about the destructive nature of men um which historically it's dudes you know uh, as much as that sucks to say uh not to say that there haven't been a lot of you know peaceful men as, as well but if the world came to an end it would probably be mostly heralded by by the guys um at least prior to you know the past 10 years um yeah and so yeah there's there, but there is something beautiful and and and, and well rounded about having nux redeemed through having sense talked into him um and compassion talked into him uh through through that you know character that he was falling in love with there's yeah there's a lot of those little nice moments that yeah i love it it all works for me todd Uh, agreed the last little odds and ends that i have are one furiosa's makeup is so freaking cool like it's hard to keep coming up with cool things right and her little half you know, it's not black. It looks like it's kind of green or teal or something, um, but it's this kind of oil slick color. It's grease. Is it just grease? Is that why it's? She uses the grease from her steering wheel under her steering wheel to wipe. Oh, that. So it's supposed to be grease. It's supposed perfect. to be. I don't know what it actually is in real life, but like that's what she does. It's perfect. Yeah, it's cool. So after that whole night sequence, when Max wakes up and is now daytime, it looks like Furiosa has cleaned her face off, right? And but what they're doing is that they use the window light to kind of create that same style on her face. Um, and so there's a little shadow that's creeping across the bottom half of her face that kind of keeps that same visual style in place uh, just through lighting. Um, and so uh, she's different now, but at the same time, they're still it's still her. Yeah, I like that. Also, like when at the at the beginning, I noticed uh, that when Max gets into his car he gets into the right side um, of his car. The steering wheel is on the right. And so the original Mad Max was filmed in Australia in the Outback. Um, this one was filmed in Namibia. But I feel like we're still in the Outback, right? Um, we're still kind of in this desolate wasteland that is just perfectly Australia, I guess. I've never been to Australia, but... I, I've only ever heard that it's everything kills you in Australia. Um, so it makes sense that this all takes place there. Yeah. And then my last, and this is not even a note. It's just not, it's barely an observation, <laughs> which is, I love the explosion when Max is kind of tether is riding on that pole. Um, and he's like flinging him, you know, from the left to the right, trying to get back to the semi. Uh, and there's this massive explosion in the background. Every time this scene happens, I just laugh. I become like this, giddy little schoolboy uh just giddy like with the excitement of this is a really cool shot and tom hardy looks insane um and why is this happening right now i love it <laughs> yeah it's so cool <laughs> yeah um yeah that's all i got man love it oh i do have i've already asked you i think kind of one question well, i didn't even ask it you just kind of already jumped into it which was why do we like post-apocalyptic films um and i think you're right i think there is something nice about and this is what most movies do, which is allow you to vicariously experience other aspects of life. And this has been since before movies, right? All stories are about learning and understanding stuff about ourselves, stuff about humanity, training you to how to prepare for certain things. What would you do in this kind of crisis? I think that probably serves a lot of nightmares. Um, it's our fears and also preparation for those fears. Um, and so I don't know, that's kind of, 
And then there's the pure entertainment value, of course. But all that aside, what about yeah. the music? Now, you have a really hard time in films with on-screen film, uh, on-screen music. Uh, and so how did you feel about the guitar and the drum guys? <laughs> oh, Are they really playing? It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no, but it doesn't matter. It does. I mean, you can't really decipher any notes anyway. Right. It's just all noise. Like, <laughs> no, I didn't. At all, I have nothing to add there, <laughs> and that's fine because it doesn't need to be added to. I, I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you about the apocalyptic thing. I, I think you know it's it's very much like that. You know, almost like a a preparation, right? But stuff like this, you know, also just serves to, like I said at the very beginning, I like that taking either humanity's biggest weaknesses or the maybe even their biggest positives, right? And then spinning it to how that could end the current type of civilization we currently have, you know, and go into some other way of living. Now that could be post-apocalyptic, but that could mean a lot of things. Like this is post-apocalyptic, I guess, right? But there's still civilization. It's just, this is the new way of living. Um, and there's plenty other versions of of this new way of living and what would that be like? Right. I mean, post-apocalyptic could be massive advances in technology post, you know, everyone dying, like wave post everyone dying. That could be another way. There's just so many different ways to look at it. Right. And this is just like this own world where nothing exists outside of it. And I'm never taken out of it the entire time. And it's just really well done. And though the best post-apocalyptic films, I think do that where, there may be a whole other world on, you know, outside of this, but we never see it. We never feel it. We are just locked into this existence, how it is. And I think this does it as good, if not better than, than 90% of the, all the other ones, you know, completely yeah. agree. Nice. Well, what are you going to recommend this week? I have two and I can't make up my mind of which one I'm recommending. I know. Yet. So I'm hoping you I do as well. <laughs> I do as well. Um, and I can't make it. I think just because probably fewer people have seen it, I'm going to recommend Steward of Life Backwards, which is uh, an early, an early Hardy film. Uh, one of his first, I, I think his first might have been in 2004 and this was 07, but it's full frontal if you're into that kind of thing um, uh, of him. But it just, he's, you get a really good picture of, of how good of an actor he really is um, and has been for a very long time. Um, if the only thing that you've seen him in is Mad Max and, and as Bane, you haven't really seen the breadth that this guy can do. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about warrior uh, ad nauseum on this podcast and how good he is there, but you know, and Bronson as well. Um, but this is just, you know, early days of, of him. And uh, yeah, it just speaks volumes of, of, how great of an actor he really is. Nice. Did you ever watch Band of Brothers? I did not. And I know that he's in that. Uh, it was that from 04, 02? I can't remember. That's like maybe 98. That's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I know he was I know he was in that as well, though. But I, I'm going to. Maybe nice. we should do a, an episode on it. Ooh, you're talking my love yeah. language right now, sir. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, I know what makes you tick, bro. <laughs> Nice. I was having a hard time. What was the other one you were debating on? Uh, Monster. Oh, nice. I still haven't seen Monster. Um, 
It's yeah. a harder watch. And yeah. I think most more people have seen it. So that's why I didn't recommend it. Oh, nice. Yeah, Patty Jenkins, man. Um, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. debating between Book of Eli, which is another post-apocalypse. I mean, Denzel, you're never going to lose. Dude. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go with Atomic Blonde. If you want to nice. see Charlize Theron, absolutely just destroy. There's a fight sequence in there that in the theater, about halfway through the sequence, my jaw literally just dropped um it's it's outstanding it's one of the best fight sequences of the last 15 years i would say Ooh, yeah i want to go watch it <laughs> it's absolutely amazing now that i've built it up too much stay tuned uh-huh. for next week we are going to stay on the action roller coaster um with one of the best foreign action mo- movies and actually one of the best action movies, um, maybe ever, but certainly of the last 20 years, um, with The Raid Redemption. We should probably try to get Aaron, um, see if yes. he's available. God. Um, yeah, so so stay tuned. We're gonna we're gonna take a look at that. Um, and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review, and leave us a note if you'd like us to talk about uh, a movie or a film or something that we haven't talked about before, uh, let us know. And I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Ramos. Uh, he's been watching us on YouTube and dropping some comments. Uh, he was recommending Cartel Land after he watched uh, our Sicario episode. Sicario. Um, he was recommending Cartel Land, this documentary, which I got about halfway through. That's a brutal, it's an incredible documentary, but it's incredibly violent. Uh, I just couldn't yeah. make it through it. Just imagine me not being able to make it through. Um, and Dude, so I'm, I, those kinds of things, I'm going to go watch it. Those kinds of things, they scare the crap out of me. Yeah. So I totally understand. It's well, there's actual, I need to find a safe for work version of it because there's actual like decapitated people um, and that kind of stuff. And that I struggle with that. I know not everyone does. It's funny. I can watch someone you know or and morton joe got his face ripped off in this movie yeah i'm fine like it didn't bother me yeah. at all but actual it's the real life human stuff surgeries and people mutilated corpses that stuff just ruins me for years and years and years like i still have images uh our friend uh, tracy one time sent me a music video that had like a decapitated head in it not still is haunting me like uh like 13 12 13 years later I just can't get rid of that stuff, but worth it. I think if you can handle that kind of imagery, Cartel Land's an incredible documentary worth watching. And uh, it's such a broad perspective on the drug war at the border. Um, absolutely. So anyway, shout out. Thanks, Jonathan. I also want to give a shout out to, to Hannah. Apparently, uh, she. Uh, I was talking to her the other day and she was like, we apparently uh to maybe to alex's credit uh hannah was saying that our voices are very soothing somehow we we have these bassy soothing voices and it sometimes she doesn't even know what we're talking about she just well thank you Hannah. Just, <laughs> it, it, is this soothing enough for you okay sorry <laughs> little asmr right? <laughs> so, i don't know yeah, ASMR. Uh, so if you're enjoying the show anyway, uh, if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash Mad Max Fury Road. And today we have two quotes of the day. Uh, and I like them both. They're both, both nice. Uh, the first one is from Dale Earnhardt. I, I just like the the energy behind this. Right? right? I couldn't uh, not someone use who it. Just, yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's so good. The, if you don't know, Dale Earnhardt was a, a NASCAR driver, uh, passed away, but... 
one of the best of all time. If you're not a race driver, stay the hell home. Don't come here and grumble about going too fast. Get the hell out of the race car if you've gotten feathers on your legs or butt. Put a kerosene rag around your ankles so the ants won't climb up and eat that candy ass. <laughs> I mean, I... That's that's probably he's just talking out of his ass at some point. Right. There's some <laughs> rambling a little bit on there, but I get it. Like the point is, is put up or shut up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? Don't complain Don't about race car driving. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. And I imagine that's kind of the war boy mentality out there. They're just like, hey. Yeah. We're here to do one thing, man. Drive fast and kill people. <laughs> if you're not and on board, eventually. Stay and die. True. Yeah. Witness yeah. me. Uh, fantastic. It just the, the, <laughs> I love that this is an actual quote because I, I guarantee you it's probably part of a, an interview yeah. where someone had complained or whatever and he right? was just, just like trying to put the kibosh on it. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. The second quote of the day is from Neil Gaiman You don't need princes to save you. I don't have a lot of patience for stories in which women are rescued by men. Now, when was this quote from? Any idea? Uh, I mean, I Neil mean, Gaiman is just, he's an amazing writer. Yeah, he's been around place, for, but, for ages. Uh, I don't know, probably a while ago. I didn't see a timestamp on it. Um, yeah. But obviously it underscores the entire idea. And that bothers me too. Like, I love this story not because Max is the perfect hero who's always coming to rescue these damsels tied to the train tracks. Like... It never makes sense to me to have any any victim that isn't trying to participate in the rescue, whether it's a man being rescued or not, or it's a woman. Like, what sense does it make to have a helpless victim um, who isn't trying to contribute to their own salvation? That's that's bad storytelling. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Everyone was needed for them to get through it. Yes. Right. So in a way he did, but she also saved him, not just hanging out, you know, uh, hanging, uh, holding him up out the window, but just in general, gave him a little bit of redemption, which was the the whole thing was about, right? True. Why they went back to the city was for a little redemption, not just for her, but for him. And uh, so they all saved each other. Yeah, because if she hadn't started this, he would still be trapped. Yep. He would still be a prisoner if she hadn't set in her mind that she needed to set not just uh, those women free, but herself free um, and right. go to somewhere better. If she hadn't made that decision, Max never gets saved. She saved him yeah. indirectly um, before yeah. saving him directly. <laughs> yeah, very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Nice. Amazing. Great quotes. <laughs> Great quotes. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a r- real blast. Uh, make sure to join us next week when we do the Raid Redemption. And like Wes said, subscribe, review us on iTunes, and let us know what you'd like us to cover. We would love to hear from you in any capacity on any of the platforms. Uh, until next week, I am Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Ha, 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 ha.